Praise the Lord, everybody. Amen. I mean, he's glad to be in God's house to feel his rich presence today. Amen. I love what I feel and it uh, feels good and refreshing to be in the house of God, to have his spirit just wash over and uh, confirm and reaffirm that he's still our God and loves us so much that he would visit with us this morning. Amen. Well, I have a message that God laid on my heart. And uh, we'll jump right into the word of God. Um, remember to pray for pastor as he's traveling, been hearing good words. So it's uh, always encouraging. Um, I hate to say it, but we're almost spoiled. It's almost like every time he goes over there, God's doing something. And if he wasn't doing something, I'm afraid it would be a waste of his time. It's God has limited time and resources there. He's using them the best he can. And he's changing lives one right after another. Amen. Well, I want to start us off here in Hebrews chapter 10 and verse 22. I am definitely have no complaints from me in the weather department. I am telling you what I'm loving this Kansas weather about right now. Amen. Hebrews chapter 10 and verse 22 says, Let us draw near with a true heart and full assurance of faith, having our hearts sprinkled from an evil conscience and our bodies washed with pure water. Let us hold fast the profession of our faith without wavering, for he is faithful that promised. And let us consider one another to provoke unto love and to good works. Amen. He's faithful that promised. Amen. I want to preach to us this morning the imperfect sacrifice. Can we lay our Bibles down and ask God to touch us this morning and anoint our hearts and our minds. Heavenly Father, we love you, Jesus. We thank you, God, for this opportunity. We ask you to touch us, God, and anoint our hearts and our minds. Let your word speak to us, God. Walk into this house, God. Continue to do a work, God. Minister to us, God. Hallelujah, hallelujah. We love you, Jesus. Let your words speak to the needs in this house, God. Let it carry on from this day forward. Minister, Master, we ask you, Jesus, in your precious, precious name. Amen. Amen. You may be seated. The imperfect sacrifice. We're going to be talking a little bit this morning about altars and the sacrifice. We'll try not to get too bogged down into any of that. We'll... Uh, Try to keep moving along, but for the sake of clarity, we're going to talk about two different altars, the lay altar and the horned altar, and we'll jump into a couple of scriptures and talk just briefly about those. But the lay altar, that was an altar that the lay person could go into the field and construct a, an altar and make a sacrifice unto God and use it to communicate with the creator and the createe, if I could say. Use it to communicate with his God. Certain sacrifices, and there were restrictions upon it. You couldn't have uh, hewn stone, and, and you couldn't make it without the assistance. In this one, you could make without the assistance of a priest. But on the horned altar, you look through Scripture, you find that the priest was always involved when you're talking about the horned altar. And when we see the lay altar, we see covenants are communicated between God and man. And we find in Noah, we, we'll read a passage of scripture in Genesis chapter 8 in verse 20. And we read through this passage and we see where it's the ark had come to a rest. And Noah got out, made a sacrifice. And in verse 20 it says, And Noah builded an altar unto the Lord 
and took of every clean beast and every clean fowl and offered burnt offerings on, on the altar. And the Lord smelled a sweet savor. And the Lord said in his heart, I will not again curse the ground anymore for man's sake. For the imagination of man's heart is evil from his youth. Neither will I again smite any more every living thing as I have done. And there's numerous passages of scripture we read through where we talk about Abraham. We see where he made an altar and named that area Jehovah Nisi, the Lord of my refuge. We then go on and talk about Isaac and Jacob and Moses and, and Joshua and, and the temple of Solomon and the second temple and the Reubenites and Gideon and, and the people of Israel and Samuel and David and Jeroboam at Bethel and Ahaz and on and on. People made altars in their life. It wasn't just a casual occurrence. It wasn't just something they took lightly and got up in the morning and said, you know what, I haven't done it in a while. I guess I'll just make an altar. But it was something stirred deep within them. They were instructed to make an altar. They were so compelled in their life occurrences, whatever was going on in all those people and those individuals' lives, no matter what was going on, you look in and you see where the man of God had his arms being held up by those around him. And when he put his arms down, they began to lose in battle and they held them back up and they were victorious and God slew the enemy. He then built an altar. It was something of magnitude in their life. It wasn't just we fought, we won, but it was something that, you know what? God's a refuge. God is a refuge. One of the examples that I wanted to draw from this morning is Gideon. You read in Judges chapter 6 and you'll read through the passage of scriptures and we won't take the time this morning, but when we talk about Gideon, and I remember through my years of going through Sunday school and reading the scriptures and, and the stories and messages being preached, we always focus on Gideon uh, getting together the mighty men and, and whittling it down to 300 through the drinking from the brook and those that lapped like a dog or those that fed it to their mouth. And we read the story and we go through their, wow, that's incredible where God used 300 men and, and they used their trumpets and their pitchers and they circled about the enemy and they broke them on the sound of the trumpet and God made them victorious. That's a great story, a marvelous story of how God can take care of his children. But if you go back earlier in the passage, the story, in my opinion, is even greater than what God did for him. Because you have a man that none of that would have been possible if Gideon had not made his heart right with God. This was a dark, dark time for the children of Israel. In this period of time, it wasn't um, something where they had luscious piles of grain and food. If you read the scripture, it says that they were starving. They were buried into the hills. They were living in caves, and they were trying to get a meager uh, grain of food for them, grains for them to make food. And Gideon was out there harvesting, and God spoke to him. Their enemy had destroyed them. They planted seed and they tried to harvest and their enemy came in and destroyed their harvest and they're hungry and they're, they're starving. They're wanting something and Gideon heard the voice of God. Told him to do something that hadn't been done. Told him to do something that wasn't popular. And Gideon then heeded to the voice of God, went out in the middle of the night and tore down the altars of Baal and tore down the grove that was behind it build an altar unto God and burn the grove in the night. And they get up in the morning and all the, all the ites are all upset at what's going on around them. But it's because Gideon listened to the voice of God. They were hungry and starving. 
It wasn't just about, oh, let's get 300 men. But he went in and built an altar unto God. Saints of God, today, sometimes you have to do what's not popular. It's not always easy to do what God wants us to do. Sometimes it's like, oh, I got to give up my career or I got to move to this location. God's calling me. That's the thing about the voice of God. He never says, oh, go do this and you have no other choice. And if you do this, you're going to die. And that's judgment. But God, when he has a tool that he's wanting to use, he says, hey, won't you come over here? He'll say, hey, hey, brother Merriman, there's hungry souls in a city. I need you to go talk to them. He'll call you out and say, you know what, what about those young children in Sunday school? Why don't you get more involved? And he's calling us, each and every one. Why don't you talk to those family that seem so wrecked and destitute and, and torn down and beat down and no one else wants to talk to them? God's calling us. It's the same voice that talked to Gideon, talks to each and every one of us today, asking us to give a sacrifice to him. And then he'll do the work. He'll provide the victory just like he did. And Gideon built an altar, and he called it Jehovah Shalom. The Lord is peace. We read on through, and we find scripture after scripture where David built an altar. We talk a little bit about the horned altar. It pushes ahead sins. It represents the law. We must notice that it was served only by the priest, just an ordinary person couldn't go in and, and build an altar, the horned altar. You find people that committed crimes, they found it as a refuge. They would run to the horned altar. It was where the priest was at. It was where safety was at. It was where security was at. They ran to the altar. We read in 1 Timothy chapter 2 and verse 5, we see what Jesus Christ did to the law. We find in verse 5 it says, For there is one God and one mediator between God and men, the man Christ Jesus, who gave himself a ransom for all to be testified in due time. This altar signified Jesus Christ and his atoning sacrifice. Calvary had the altar and the sacrifice was Jesus Christ who fulfilled the law. And he says, I've not come to destroy it, but I've come to fulfill it. We find in Matthew chapter 5 and verse 17, they said, think not that I've come to destroy the law or the prophets. I am not come to destroy, but to fulfill. He took all of sin and wrapped it up in himself. And he says, if you want to get to sin, you have to get to me. You have to go through Jesus Christ and his sacrifice. If you want to come and take on me, devil, you're going to have to go through me to get to their sins. It's not something that you can readily just walk up and pick off a tree and take it free will, but it's under the blood of Jesus Christ. The ultimate sacrifice, it was perfect but it was presented to this world full of lashings in the back. And as Pastor so greatly said a couple weeks ago, the torture that he went through, it was imperfect in their eyes, but it was the perfect sacrifice. It was the absolute perfect sacrifice. None before and since has ever taken a sacrificial position than what Jesus Christ did for each and every one of us. We have heard of Wealthy individuals, they find a place they like to eat. They find this place that they find refuge in, this valley, this mountain, this beach, this island. They like it so much that they say, you know what, I don't want anybody else to have this. And they buy it. 
They spend the resources. They get someone on the phone, make plans, and they purchase this island. They purchase this beachfront property. They buy a place on the lake or they buy a, a valley that no one else can get to. I want to get to it before anybody else can. And, and they purchase this for their own pleasure. Saints of God, Calvary wasn't purchased for just his pleasure. It was for the benefit of each and every one of us. He consumes all resources in this world, this universe, but he took time out of his time, out of his schedule to walk down and say, I'll be the sacrifice. I'll be the one. I'm not just going to keep it, but I'm going to give. I don't perform the ultimate act to just draw within myself, but I'm going to give. He sets the precedent for us as saints to give. To give of ourselves, It's easy for us to get wrapped up in day-to-day -day things. And, and, and we all do it. And it's so easy. Life is so quick. And, and it's coming upon me even quicker. I just The kids had some birthdays. And my wife and I were sitting there talking. We're like, we are getting so old. Our kids, our oldest is 13 and the youngest are five now. And it just seems like yesterday they were so little. And I go through my phone and I find pictures and... I'm holding them. And you're like, how did this happen? How, how did this happen so quick? I remember when we first got the girls, and, and it, I remember vividly in my mind the whole picking them up from somebody and buckling Haley and all disheveled. And, and then I look at her, and she's a little lady. How did this happen? H how did this happen, Brother Brandon? You look at your children, you see so little, and and they're so small and so fragile. And next thing you know, they're running through the house like an Indian tearing the place apart. You're like, that's when the moms are saying, how in the world is this happening? But kids, they grow so quick. But what prompts in my mind, what have I done? That signifies someone's timeline. We've seen them grow and mature. Their vocabulary gets better. Their motor skills get better. They become more adultish, and they can converse with their parents. Their likes and dislikes, at least for a little while, match up to their parents. That's all they know. And you're like, how did all this happen? And you look at yourself, and you say, what have I done? Okay, I've raised a child. I've brought a family into this world. Provide for them. But what have I done? What sacrifices have I made. He gave of his life so that I could. In our text we read today, talking about influencing others through our sacrifice, drawing them unto God. He took all of sin and wrapped it up. We read in 2 Corinthians chapter 5 and verse 18, said, And all things are of God, who hath reconciled us to himself by Jesus Christ, and hath given us to the ministry of reconciliation. To wit that God was in Christ, reconciled the world unto himself, not imputing their trespasses unto them, hath committed unto us the word of reconciliation. Now then we as ambassadors for Christ, as though God did beseech you by us, we pray you in Christ's stead, be ye reconciled to God. For he hath made him to be sin for us, who knew no sin that we might be made the sacrifice, the righteousness of God in him. In verse 20, we are imploring those around us as ambassadors, God is good. We implore those around us, just read his word. 
We read the scripture and we are to implore to those around us, say, listen, won't you come to church? And we invite and it seems like it falls on deaf ear after deaf ear after person that says no time and time and time again. But one of these days there's going to be a voice that says, okay, yeah, I'll come. I've been waiting and watching. And I begin to read the scripture and I read the passages where it says God's going to take care of me. And then here you come and invite me. God's words come into pass. It's when we place those things which are important to God and place them in the importance for us. I'm reminded of a story that was told originally back in the 50s about a man who was very wealthy and his auction for all of his household goods was up for sale. And everything was being sold. And there was a picture of his son, Brother Brandon, that um, his son had died at a young age. And they put the picture up for auction and they put it up and they asked for a certain amount and then there was this little old lady that raised her hand and said, I'll, I'll buy it. No one else was interested in the picture of the man's son. Much more other pricely possessions there to bid on and invest in. And as the lady brought the picture home, she was the one who had been a part of that young man's life prior to him dying at an early age. And she was the nurse that cared for him. And he held a special place in her heart. And she said, you know, I, I just couldn't let it just be thrown away and cast aside. He meant too much to me, and his life was so fragile, and, and I loved him. And so she gets it home, and she's looking at the picture, and she feels on the back of the paper, and in the back of the, the paper on the back of the frame, she feels a lump. She gets a small knife out and cuts a little slit in the paper and pulls out an envelope. And it turns out in this story, in this tale, the envelope contained the missing wheel for this wealthy individual and says, whoever has this wheel had to have cared for my son so much that he gave it attention. He wanted it. It was something they pursued. You can have all of my possessions. Saints of God, God gave us his will. It wasn't hidden in a picture. It wasn't tucked away where no one could find it. But it was given to us so we could all read, so we could all benefit from the inheritance Brother Merriman was talking about it, about people not knowing they had the word of God. And, you know, I, what concerns me about, Brother Merriman, about your message was it was the priest that handed the scriptures to the king, and he didn't know what it was. He had to hand it. It was the priest that had lost the message. The scribe wouldn't do anything, but the priest is the one who was, hey, here's the word of God. Saints of God, we're here today. We have a scripture that's given to us that we must sacrifice for. We read in Exodus chapter 20 and verse 25, it says, And if thou wilt make an altar of stone, thou shalt not build it of hewn stone. If thou, wilt, if thou lift up thy tool upon it, thou hast polluted it. In Romans chapter 12, a very familiar passage of Scripture says, I beseech you therefore, brethren, by the mercies of God, that you present your bodies a living sacrifice, holy, acceptable unto God, which is your reasonable service. And be not conformed to this world, but be ye transformed by the renewing of your mind, that ye may prove what is that good and acceptable and perfect will of God. God doesn't want an altar that's modeled after things of this world. When we take and we build an altar, and we say, God, this has significance in my life, we're building it out of the things that represent us. We're taking things out of our life and saying, God, I'm giving it to you. And God says, just lay it down right there. Lay it 
at my feet. When we take things of significance out of my life and I, I say, God, I don't want this anymore. It, God says, just stack it all over here and I'll take care of it. When we lay a sacrifice in front of God, it doesn't absolutely have to be perfect and flawless. We see in the Old Testament where they couldn't have an imperfect animal for the sacrifice. But we read through in the New Testament, we find where God walking in just the daily walk with the people shown that that doesn't have to be perfect. He sat with the lepers. He walked with the prostitutes. He broke bread with the sinners. Saints of God, sometimes we have too high of a standard for ourselves than God does for us. We say, oh, I could never. It's just like saying, I could never start a family until I have X amount of money in the bank. It'll never happen. You can try to plan out your life, your spiritual walk with God, or I can never be used in the kingdom of God until I get this, 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 and this all in a perfect line. God said, I called you. You're good enough for me to call. You're good enough for me to work on. I'll take care of those. Let me nick at this and trim this and line this up and straighten this up. But all we see is confusion and wreck in our life, but God says, I want to use you. The Old Testament says if there be any blemish therein, or if it be lame or blind or any ill, it can't be a sacrifice. But God calls each and every one of us as we are, because if we're waiting to be perfect, we'll never arrive. A wise man said God uses broken things, broken soil and broken clouds to produce grain, broken grain to produce bread, broken bread to feed our bodies, he wants our, stumble, our stubbornness broken into humble obedience. Saints of God, it, it, people, we get a pride thing about us where, you know, I, I just can never tell anybody. Just tell God. Let him work on it. Let him start to smooth it over. Let him start to put his nail-scarred hand on it and let his blood flow over it. Sometimes we think we have to be perfect. God says, just follow me, and it'll just all start to... We see ourselves as this jagged, leaning, unbalanced Jenga tower. That if I commit to God, that means i got to pull out this one block and it's just all going to come down. But God says, just trust me. Just trust me. We read through scriptures. We find about cleanliness. It's important to God. It's tied to holiness. It's important. Does a holy vessel... Make holy that which it touches. No. Does an unclean person make the priest unclean? No. Because holiness is not just transferable. It's not something that I can walk over and touch Brother Brandon and become holy. It's something inside of me. It's a process that God has for each and every one of us. In the Old Testament, we see the law. It was very strict and very this way and cut and dried and there was no gray area, no deviation from cleanliness. There was laws for cleanliness of animals and, and the houses and the people and we see through Leviticus chapter 11 through 15 talks about it exclusively and, and we see that it wasn't just about hygienics, it was about the unclean objects and the Jews for, were to focus on things that promoted cleanliness within their life and wholeness and normalcy. And, and we look at cleanliness as a whole and we see that in the Old Testament language. And, and then we today look at holiness and we say, how do I apply holiness to myself? And saints of God, holiness is a, is a process. It's not a, a state where you go and you stop. Holiness is a process. 
If it was just a status, it was something that you could just line up to and make it something in your life one day to the next and say, I'm done, I'm holy. Then you could put on the clothes, you could comb the hair, you could put on the outside appearance, and you would be holy. But God says the important measure is internal to the heart. It's what you take out and you build your altar with. Holiness on the outside looks good, looks grander. People look at you. People say, oh, look at them. But when we look at the heart and we go into the secret place and we say, what's, what's, what's Douglas? What is Douglas? What's Brother Brandon? What's Brother Merriman? What's Brother Jared? What are they? And you go into the place where they commune and talk to God. The altar that I built, no one else will see. No one else will be able to go in and say, oh, look at that. Yeah, I, I, I knew Brother Brandon. You know, yeah, I, I could have told you that. God told me that. And yeah, I've, I've seen him do that. I've known him from a young age. I know him. But saints of God, no one really knows you like God does. When you go in and you just cast everything on God, it's just you and him. And he comes in. He looks at our altar. He says, oh, that's pleasing in my eye. Or, you know what, Douglas, why don't you do this? Or, you know, change this about you. Or, Pick this up. Why don't you work on this in your life? That's between me and God. And he uses the word of God from this pulpit. He uses the scriptures that we read. But you know what? It takes a man and a woman to take that criticism from God. But think of it this way. I would rather take criticism from the creator than just someone who don't like what I'm doing. I would rather say I'm lining up my life to the word of God. Something that's been tried and true through the ages. The spoken and anointing word of God. I would rather line up to the word of God than to my critics, the people that pick at me and say, oh, you're fat, you're ugly, you're too skinny, you're too tall, you're too short. You talk like this, you sound like that. You can't do this, you can do that. People will always find something wrong with you. But it's not to build you up. It's to tear you down. The word of God is continually saying, if you take this out and you put it right here, it's perfect. If you take this out and you put it right here, it's perfect. And you just keep doing it time and time again. And you step back and you look and you feel God put his arm around you. And you say, look, what I've done for you. You say, God, I don't want to pick one of those things back up ever ever again because I know the pain when I take it and I put it back in my heart it, it scrapes it pulls the impurity the purity out of it and I'm starting to bleed God don't ever put that back in my life don't let me pick it back up it's it's like trying to clean yourself with coral instead of a smooth cloth and the smooth ivory soaps that soothe the skin it's like grabbing the sand and, and rubbing it on your skin harshly it's that's like putting sin back in your life what God has taken out don't ever pick Pick back up and wrap it in your arms and comfort it just because your friends are doing it. Don't ever do it to yourself because it's going to cause deep wounded scars. You're going to say, I want to be clean. Something inside of me wants to be clean. Saints of God, we lose that feeling. And it shouldn't be so. When we've been baptized and we sit down and we realize what just happened. I feel so clean. I feel so pure. It wasn't just an act. I took a shower this morning, took a shower yesterday. It's, it's beyond that. But in my mind and my walk with God, I go back in my mind and I say, God, I remember. 
I remember when my father said, I now baptize you in Jesus' name. I remember that feeling, and I want to keep it. It's something that we can have, saints of God. No one has to take that away. It's something we can keep in our daily walk with God. But we so easily give it up sometimes because it doesn't get the limelight. So much is going on, the schedules. And, and I, I can tell you, my schedule is just absolutely insane. But what makes everything stop and fall to the ground, and, and it's just getting my absolute attention when he says, Douglas, do you feel what you used to feel? I say, God, stop it all. Stop this, this tornado that's going on around me. I want to feel you. Because it's real. Going in and sitting in a meeting and going in and sitting at dinner or sitting at the table or talking to someone on the phone. It, it doesn't give me the joy. When I stop and say, God, you're so real. Can I just talk to the creator? Even though I'm not perfect, I can give an imperfect sacrifice. It allows me to talk to him and nobody else. It doesn't matter the confusion and the words that people are saying in my ear, on social media, anything that's coming in mailbox, anybody who calls my phone, when I talk to him, it just all cascades away. If you don't feel that, you can today through an imperfect sacrifice. Can we stand this morning? Saints of God, I have a lot more notes to go through. But the Old Testament shunned the lepers. It shunned the unclean. It shunned those that, oh, you're a sinner. You know, Jesus even rubbed shoulders with the Samaritan. Religious leaders, it threw them into a tizzy. They just didn't know what to do. But we can walk in this house. We can go into our prayer closet. We can walk in our daily walk with him. And we can say, God, I'm unclean. And he knows what to do. Yesterday, the kids were outside playing, and dirt was flying every which direction. I looked out the window. In my mind, I said, borrow a line from Jerry Clower. It'd be easier to have another one than to clean you up. But God never says that to us. He says, you know what? I've been waiting. Won't you come let me work on this a little bit? You know, you don't have to be a sinner for this message to apply. You can be just a little imperfect for God to say, you know what, I really wanted to talk to you this morning because if we are all perfect sitting here today, wow, what a move of God we would have. What a change that I would have on those around me. What an impact that Douglas and my family could have on this community if we were all perfect. If I was perfect, just imagine the voice of God that could speak to me every day and commune with him and walk with him. And but God wants to have that in our life. I think it'd be good for us to find us a place to talk to him and rekindle some of this that's inside of our heart. Push it all aside. Busy time of the year for everybody things going on, but let's just find a place to pray and let's talk to him this morning and let's see what God can do a work in our life today. Hallelujah. We love you, Jesus.